Eric Veal with the AppsJack Capable Communities Podcast, and I am coming to you from Seattle, Washington, which is home of Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, Boeing, and an incredible startup ecosystem that rivals Silicon Valley. Each episode, I bring on friends and guests who are executives and business leaders from the local community and around the world to talk about a topic that we find very interesting. Please enjoy this episode. Hey everybody, this is Eric Veal with the AppsChat Capable Communities Podcast, and this is a series about IT management. And for this series, I brought in a few friends from the local community and associates. I've got uh, Dave DeNoya, Don Alvarez, and Kafaya Dawood. And I'm very happy to have these people on the podcast with me. Dave is a former uh, co-worker at Microsoft. Don and I uh, collaborated together previously on a few projects and know each other through the local business community. And Kafaya and I are new, new friends. Kafaya used to work at Boeing for a really long time. And so I'm going to let each of them introduce themselves. And I'll start with Dave. Hi, uh, my name is Dave Denoya, and uh, I've been working in data and analytics for about 14 years now. I uh, worked at big companies, startups, and consulting, um, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to be here. I'm really excited about uh, this podcast uh, for you, Eric. And this is Don Alvarez. I uh, started out in tech with a PhD in physics and three trips to the South Pole, uh, after which the obvious next step was to go work for companies like Disney and Microsoft and so forth. Uh, at this point, I'm doing a uh, startup building software for filmmakers that is a cloud-based uh, innovative architecture for that uh, space. Great follow-up for me. This is Kifaya Dawood. I used to work at Boeing for seven years, did a lot of customer relations support for the global airlines. Prior to that, I did sales and hospitality and marketing. I'm very excited about talking to you guys and learning more about it. And for the next couple of months, I'm sort of dedicating my time to sort of enjoying Seattle's summer. I have not been able to do that since I came to America about 17 years ago. So this is a great time for me. Awesome. Congrats. Yeah. yeah. So again, this is Eric Veal with the AppShack Capable Communities podcast, and this is a series about IT management. Hey, everybody. Welcome. This is Eric with the AppShack Capable Communities podcast, and this is a segment um, that we are going to discuss. Dave Denoya and I, who used to work together in BI at Microsoft in the Business Intelligence and Competitive Intelligence Group. Uh, and we worked on big data streams that came from Bing.com and MSN.com. And we would use these systems. Uh, one was called Scope and one was called Cosmos. And we would data mine and answer questions about clicks and whatnot from within those systems of kind of like, what happened if 89 million people did this or that? Or if we change this logo or that, what happened? So, Data science is kind of the broader category, but um, the topic that Dave and I, or basically we're going to initiate, um, is business intelligence today. And we're going to follow this up with uh, three, three following segments after the BI thing, and we'll, we can speak to those in a little bit. But um, first, business intelligence, and I'll let Dave say a word or two about uh, BI, and then we'll also include um, Don and Kafaya in that conversation as well. Yeah, I was just thinking back in uh, the beginning that that was really the early days of big data when you think about it. Um, I remember the original uh, distributed system that we worked on, they used to call it distributed computing for one because they actually couldn't break it up uh, <laughs> at that point. But uh, yeah, it was really early time. So uh, yeah, so my name's Dave and thanks, Eric. Uh, yeah, back in the day, we, uh, we were just sitting in a pool, you know, a big ocean of data. Um, 
you know, billions and billions of rows. And it, we really went from the database world of like a couple million rows to billions upon billions of rows. And then suddenly those, um, they, they started getting, then the individual rows themselves or records, we, we switched from rows to records at that point, uh, started getting really large. So up to like 90,000 characters. So we're just talking about immense amounts of volumes of data and large organizations trying to figure out how to use it. It's, it's, it's a really difficult problem. Yeah, so some, something changed and the tools changed, I think, a while back. Like that was about 2010 timeframe. Uh, 2008. Okay, yeah, that's when you started in it. And yeah. I, Dave and I met in 2010, but... Those systems that Microsoft had were, in order to query the, that big data, which would be millions and billions of rows, right? I mean, yeah, it was billions, billions of rows. Yeah, so very early, it was a, you know, I remember six months of data was a petabyte. Right, right, yeah. So I mean, this it really was big data then, and so the data formats was either just flat files, text, like kind of logging type of stuff. Yeah. Of like click stream within, like if people went to msn.com, like that's a thing, and uh, or if people went to Bing, and so at that time. Um, the, the biggest differences, I think, between MSN and Bing was MSN was instrumented just as these flat files, just text files, and Bing was instrumented as this JSON, JavaScript, object notation uh, format, so it was much richer, and it had all the things in it. But at least what I remember at that time is, is like, well... Boy, that's that's big data, really. Like that's like, what are we gonna do with all that JSON data? And there's better systems now, I think, like Hadoop and whatnot, that do a better job of of our, you know. Sure, Microsoft mm -hmm. system has matured, you know, as yeah. well in, in that direction. I would say that was the really big shift. Like I remember the original state, they, they were they were building the the big data systems, but it was still effectively a, co a columnar system. Um, and then and then I was there at the shift from columnar to JSON, which really just enabled you to have an object. So instead of having to say, look, we don't know what's going to be on this page or what we showed to you on this page. So uh, there's 10,000 possible things. We'll have 10,000 columns. It was just whatever's on there, there'll be an object that describes it. And you have to understand what's in that object. And if that wasn't there, then that object's not going to be there. It was a very different right. mindset when it came to looking at data uh, that happened back then. Uh, and, and just you know, even a little bit before that, I feel like it was a new thing even to have access to databases for exploration, okay. that databases and data infrastructure was really for um, you know, production systems or for production reporting. Um, and that the idea of like, hey, can I take a look at that and write some queries against it? You get these weird looks like, well, well, what, well what are you going to do? We have, so what time are you going to do that? You know, that was a new thing in and of itself. And then when you got to, and then big data, it was just happening with the databases, I felt like. And uh, when you got to big data, it just blew up um, because suddenly there was just so much information there to sort through um, and there was so much potential that was suddenly allowed, be, uh, enabled, um, because you know it was a system that was built to have lots of different people pinging it, and it wasn't a system that needed to have uh, like this on demand. Like, like you're 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 uh, messing up some other process. You know, all of a sudden it was look, you can get in there, and it really changed perspective um, uh, about the the ability to get down to that level of granularity. So, what are what are the big challenges? I'll let you speak in just a second, Don. But what are, what are the big challenges? Just still trying to frame our thought process on on big data, perhaps. And again, this business intelligence topic is um, back in the day, like we said, it used to be columnar and kind of simple in many ways. Like I learned about relational databases in college in the late 1990s, and that was just seemingly pretty state of the art and kind of amazing that you could relate all these objects together. And it was amazing. And then from a reporting perspective, you're pulling from those hypothetically like transactional databases and you're building reporting databases that are easier to query and whatnot. But there was a time when we went from SQL to NoSQL 
and we started storing things as objects in databases and they weren't, um, you know, they didn't adhere to a firm schema. And so you have this NoSQL world, which is the current world, really. Yeah. I mean, many systems are still based on the relational world. But can you speak, Dave, to the um, differences, I guess, between or like what what is modern? What is the state of art now in querying NoSQL or what sure. are the tools for that? Well, I'd say one of the biggest problems is just it's overwhelming, you know, like so the people that make decisions, um, you know, they had a way that they made decisions. They didn't have access to data at this level of granularity. They couldn't do things with it. And they had a way that they talked with each other and made decisions. And now all of a sudden you have access to uh, truly whatever it is that you can capture. And you can capture almost anything in a, lot of, in a lot of circumstances. And how do you bridge that gap between now we're going to make decisions and we can build our understanding from scratch, right? And I would say that, you know, uh, it works very well in a place where, um, automated decisions like it, you know, the, the what ad are you going to see on a page? Uh, that's a place I think that this technology, that, that this perspective, data science and big data work ex exceptionally well because you have the volume that you need to be able to make these micro decisions. Where I think it's more difficult is in that area of a group of people attempting to come to an understanding that is common enough that they can speak to each other and make decisions that they can agree with. That I think is a true challenge and, and, and really an un, uh, I haven't seen it really effectively solved. Uh, one of the biggest problems is, is just, you know, a thing that I like to say with my friends, um, problem with humans is scale. We do great in small groups, get to large groups, and we got all kinds of problems. <laughs> and, and I would say that the, the organizations that are capable and have built these huge data repositories, they have human problems and scaling problems there on how to work with each other and speak to each other, that this has actually made more difficult. Not, it hasn't made it better. It's made it, I think, worse. Um, and I think the places where you're going to see people being very effective are places where small groups of people can work together to build an understanding. Um, so I think actually, even though the big companies have the advantage in being able to build the infrastructure, I actually think smaller companies have the advantage in being able to use it as a group. Okay. So as you were going through those transitions and watching the industry transition, uh, were there changes you saw in the way people were thinking or the kinds of people or kinds of skills absolutely. that were beneficial? Oh, absolutely. So when it started, um, I was a SQL person. I mean, that's what I love doing is I love writing queries and managing data and organizing data taxonomy, all the kind of infrastructure systemic things. I was a philosophy major. I view my job as practicing philosophy. There's a system of information I'm trying to understand and how other people understand that and how it all differs from each other and lines up. Um, and that was actually exceptionally, it turned out to be exceptionally useful. And what they really needed, they had a lot of data scientists or people that they, I don't know if they'd be considered a data scientists at this point, but more on the, that statistics, the old school kind of statistics background before machine learning really took off about 10 years ago. Um, uh, and uh, well, like 10 years ago, you know, and um, uh, so you had folks that were very uh, either scared or didn't have the, uh, the skills or a combination of both to get into the data itself at depth, right? That that was a different skill than the people that had the quantitative skills had. Right, and that, that over time, so you just had to kind of bring it together, like, okay, well, that's a stats person. Do we have a developer that can work with them? Okay, the developer doesn't really, do we have somebody in between? And that was always me. Um, and, and then I think over time, now you've got it into much more hardened roles, for better and for worse, um, where you know, your modern data scientist is expected to have the development skills, to have the SQL type skills, because the, all these, these systems still use a QL type language, uh, thankfully, which I love. And, um, and, and you're, it's gotten more into these hard and defined roles and you're trying to look for, you know, and this is again a place where I think it's maybe a, a mistake is they're looking for these one, one stop shops 
somebody who can really do it all end to end. But then you talk about having that conversation and how do you spread that information when you have one person working on it alone, that's actually a barrier towards that. I have a question for that. Yeah. So from your sort of experiences as a philosophy major, that's sort of philosophy in a way you're trying to understand be- people's belief system yeah. in mathematic way, really, mm-hmm. in logical concepts. So uh, in a way, it's creative and it's also logical. Yeah, and how, logical's how does, the key. Yeah, so it's kind of you're trying to, in that sense, how do you work with your stakeholders in building a bridge as sure. a person of the philosophy background. Yeah, so, you know, it depends. You get a lot, like, sometimes, I've had all the situations of, like, here's a really big, important project. There's billions of dollars on it. You have two <laughs> months, and we're going to have one meeting with an executive who's going to make a decision. I'm not a big fan of that, okay. um, but I've done that. And, okay. and that's the far end of the extreme. And, and then the other end, which is where I'd prefer to operate, but you have to fit it in with your clients and what their perspective is, is to have regular conversations and to okay. build a language around data Okay. To me, right, is like I, I'm looking at the data and I, you have certain words that you use, but a lot of times, you know, one of the things that is, this is going to be a little technical, but I would say you want to move your logic out of your code and into your data structures. Okay. So a lot of times you'll have access to data but, and you'll, you'll write a query, but the numbers won't match. Well, that's because there's all this other logic that people, oh, and this gets combined with that, which gets combined with that, which gets combined with that, and, you know, and, and people and figuring out basically having these conversations with people to understand what their words mean to them, what they're expecting to see, so that we can build our analysis towards their concepts and bring their concepts towards what we're seeing in the data. Can we talk to that context and to that point about analytical culture? I think that's a part of it. Like when you say the build a language part, yeah. I think language is clearly a you know huge aspect of culture, yeah. but there's other beliefs, values, motivations, et cetera, in a culture, other artifacts. Um, I'm trying to think where I'm going with that is, so I, I did have a negative reaction when you had said, like working at Tableau, there is a lot of beliefs and, and dogma, obviously, about what we provide and what, what we do. And I know that Tableau wants to help its customers create cultures, like basically analytical cultures. And to create that, that's really hard. Like I, I don't even know how to do it. And I worked there for a couple of years now, and I've been in the BI space for probably, you know, approaching 10 and so those kinds of transformative things where data is meaning and data is value and data is like everything, yeah. do, you, do you believe that that's true or is BI just like a tool in the toolbox or like how central is it to a business strategy? I, I think, you know, it, it's, it's what is and what can be. So I do believe that it can be truly central. I mean, decisions are being made, and, and if you have more information and you understand how to use that information to, to really hone in on truths, as it were, um, uh, then I think you're going to be better off. But I think you know, it's about where are you as a culture, right? Like the leadership of today in, in corporate America didn't come up with data. Right, so it's trying to break them into a new world. You know, I think a lot of this stuff is going to be different in 20 years because people will have worked with data all along. And I want to be clear: when I think about Tableau, I think it fits in perfectly with what I'm talking about. How do you build that culture? How do you have that conversation? Visual, like the visualizations and, and a tool like Tableau can be an incredible asset. But I still think it's that ongoing process of discussing things, right? And and coming to that so that your customer who's making a decision can understand how your work really plugs into it instead of just saying. Tell me what to do. At a minimum, there's something before and after Tableau. That was my biggest rejection of it when I first started to learn their dogma was Tableau's mission is to help people see and understand data. And this is not an advertisement for Tableau by any means. I'm just speaking about what I know. But 
when I first started to learn that their mission was to help people see and understand data, my first things were, well, before you can see your data, you have to you have to get your you have to know what data you even want to see. There's you have so to much put it that in happens. a cube just to use Tableau, right? No, not at all. It's okay, Tableau's not no 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 Tableau's my very bad. Old information. No, not, I not at Tableau all. For a while. Tableau's very like almost anti-cube. But uh, yeah, so so Tableau, there's obviously so there's a data quality upstream thing. So let me just say, just as far as architecture goes, is or work or organizing data strategy or architecture is. There's parts of it of like consuming all the data that's out there and getting it into a form that can be consumed. And tools like Tableau and Power BI, to just pick an example, or Click, anything in that space, they can connect to so many of these different types of things, to these services or databases, whatever, bring it in so that you can work with it, see and understand it or present it or, and so forth. And so there's a whole storytelling side of it and a selling side really of like, what did I learn and what does it mean? But then there's a whole other raft of stuff that happens after it, which is the organizational change stuff. It's like once we had an insight and once we realized what the truth was or what we felt like the truth was or what I felt like the truth was, mm -hmm. then what, so what, now what? Like how do we actually act on yeah. all this insight? And I don't think people are really ready no, they're not. to act. No. Well, um, one of the questions that was emerging in my mind is, in addition to this question of how do you act, there's also, I think, uh, been a thread of the data quality and the processing that's been done early on the data and the impact that that has. I know, you know, coming as an experimental, starting out as an experimental physicist and somebody who grew up thinking about data in other contexts, but still very focused on data, I know that even at a simple level when it's just me building spreadsheets, um, that background has led me to think about my spreadsheets and my data models very differently because I want to make sure that rather than having the richest and most complex model, I have a model where I understand what's going on. I know what the numbers that are going into it are and how those fit in. That doesn't scale well to no. large organizations. It's really hard. And so uh, I don't know if there are any suggestions that you have or any work that's being done on how do you communicate? What are the assumptions in that pre-processed yeah. data? Is there anything there? I, I you know, I think, um, you know, I, I actually think there's only, I only know of the long path. It's a good question. And I, I'll keep thinking about the short path, but I only know the long path, which is to, to, to have the conversations and then, and, and there's different levels, right? So I actually am a believer in, I don't, I'm not a believer in give it to one data scientist. I think that yes, there, there might be only one data scientist like that is, but there are other people surrounding them on that project and other data scientists and other people for them to talk about so that everybody can learn how to socialize it. Right? And I think socialization starts even with that micro team that really does understand the details. And then you have to start bridging those gaps to your partners. Um, again, I think there's a lot of hard work to do there. I think it's a long path. Um, I think it's the kind of path, though, that is longest the first time you walk it with a partner and gets a little shorter each time thereafter. Right. So there's like a lot of gain to be had there. But I think the other way to go and, you know, morality aside, the other way to go is to make more decisions in that context of I don't need someone. Okay. Right. Now, that obviously means less jobs. But, you know, the one part like I'll give you an example that that comes to me that I always think of is the marketing campaigns. You know, I've worked with a lot of marketers over the years and, and other folks too. I've worked with a lot of different departments. But when I've worked with marketers, 
I, I'll tend to have that conversation with them, and I'll, a lot of times I'll get a blank stare, and they'll say, "What you? I'm not. I don't really care about the details. You tell me what to do." And I'm like, "Well, I'm, what I'm thinking to myself is, geez, like the long term of that as we continue to do this and build systems is, I don't need you, right? <laughs> if, if you don't need yeah. the marketer, I don't need the marketer. If they're oh, going right. to ask the analyst to tell Correct. them what to do yeah. instead of the analyst saying, "Here's your real world. Take your real world experience and marry it with our information and our perspective, right. and now you can have a more understanding, and make right. a better decision." Yeah. So I think that, that there's a real question of where, which direction you want to go. Do you want to put in the investment and time to get there with someone, or do you want to say, "Can we get that person out of it?" So. Uh, so I had a question about this, and I come from a marketing and sales background, right? Like, as you said, it is pointless to have a salesperson who do not understand you. Yeah. Because how are they selling your product if they're not culturally already kind of sucking it in, you know? And then from marketing perspective, especially if it's a technical marketing and the person does not know your language or yeah. your culture, then you don't... In this content, you actually don't need the marketer. Because what, I mean, you can tell anyone, you can outsource that part of your work, yeah. right? You can tell anyone to, to give them that information and get that sales campaign going for you because since you're responsible for providing the information. So I think marketers should take this up on themselves to really make sure that they understand the technology that they are selling to mass audience. I totally agree. I mean, that's what I've always wanted. You know, with my partners, I try to have that conversation. And there are certain groups, and marketing sticks out, both because I've worked with them probably the most and because I think they're the most of this way of, like, not really wanting to talk about it, just mm -hmm. wanting to be told what to do. And I'm like, that's a dangerous perspective for you to have really long term. Is. It's a bad culture to have. I have to agree But I agree. With you. I totally and agree I, that I there's a from place for that perspective and that yeah. if they, if they, when they do engage, yeah. uh, there's more value to be had there. And um, I, 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 as a marketer, I can only benefit when I'm in a sales campaign that I actually understand the core of what the person in the, like we were in a, in a Boeing, we work with engineering side. I'm not an engineer, but I try to understand the entire program, Google, whatever the heck it takes me to do it. Cause, and then I feel comfortable as, I'm, uh, as a person who's in front of the customers and try to something then, because customers would ask you because your brand of the company, if you're a marketing person, you're selling a product, you are part of the company. They'll ask yeah. you that technical question, you should have some kind of ideas about, about it. And that's just from marketing side for me. It is yeah. annoying when the marketing person, you would ask them, simple that your customer would ask simple question and they don't know yeah i'm wondering whether there are uh any parallels eventually that we could look for from the early part of the last century when folks like sloan at gm were figuring out for the first time how do you manage organizations as data and so they didn't have processing but they had a concept that there was data being accumulated at the bottom of the organization and you had a stratified level of organization uh, of management and middle management whose job was basically to produce ever more refined report, reports going up to the lost, top all, right step, yeah all details are lost, right? So there, so I think there, there maybe are some interesting parallels there. I don't yeah. know. No, it's actually something that we, I think we talked about this in the in the past. That I'm kind of fascinated by, like the the military structure of mm -hmm. like officers and non commissioned officers. And I think like you know we we tend to put you if you want to rise, you go into management as a rule, and you get further and further divorced from the realities of the situation um, or the details. And um, and and I think you know I always thought about you know. 
building teams that there are there are managers, but then within disciplines there are experts who are still in the detail, and mm-hmm. that those people in the in the same way that there are like non commissioned sergeants who colonels and generals are like oh, oh, because they're so high up in what they do that I think that we need that kind of perspective, like you know the the really experienced individual contributor who is a leader but is not a is not a corporate manager. I think that person is the person who will understand those details, can pick up those details super fast because they're patterns that they've understood and been experiencing for decades of their lives. And I think it's about empowering those people, right, to have a voice in the company and have a voice to their uh, to their their commissioned officers, the, the corporate management, like to be able to listen to them. Like I mean, that's one of the things I noticed early in my career. And when I started, you know, I've done some, I've managed a little bit. When I thought about managing, you know, like people that were experienced, I thought, I thought about a friend of mine. Can I tell a story about a friend of mine who he retired because he couldn't put. <laughs> another bullshit metric and another <laughs> bullshit table. I mean, this guy's got 30 years of building and PMing and designing these data structures, but there's somebody way up the chain who knows, and there's this, there's this metric that the executives are tied to, and they literally had it at the wrong grain, the wrong metric at the wrong grain, and the, you know, it was just like, and he couldn't do it anymore, he quit. And I thought to myself, that guy has so much knowledge, he has so much to offer, but there isn't a way to enable him to do it. That's and, and that's when I, so I started thinking about this, how could you get that, those experienced people who like, you know, how do you get them to have, they're not going to be a corporate manager, that's not who they are, mm-hmm. but they're an experienced person who knows the details, can really see the patterns, you know, really quickly and understand how it fits in, and how do you empower that person? So that, that was the idea I had there. Oh yeah, that's, I mean, what you're mentioning is that one way uh, manager is like, people are not comfortable, again, sharing and being creative in front of the people that has so much power over their career, yeah. simple, and you know, I came from aviation, so it's still very traditional, very back in the days where your manager tells you what to do, you provide what your manager told you what to do, whether it's fact, whether it's going to sell, whether it's, it doesn't matter. You do whatever the manager told you to do. And this is kind of a dangerous place to be for yeah. aviation, for marketing, for sales, for tech, you, you lose that any key information industry, because you do need the middle person where the other people trust and can be creative around them. However, it is the lead. He, he or she would have extensive amount of experiences, and that can help the, you know, the company, as you mentioned earlier, the smaller crowd tend to do better. So that can bring in the smaller crowd aspect of like the tribal crowd and then move out. But without the experienced person, then all you have is a lot of new experiences in a manager, and people are just trying to really drive their career so you know they might have to bullshit a yeah. matrix yeah. <laughs> to survive that, it just it saddens me to think about yeah that, specifically I mean, that's the, the wrong metric in the wrong table yeah. it saddens me to think that about. you have, I have <laughs> I've experienced it where I know the manager and I know what the manager wants and sometimes do I want to clash with the manager no okay I'll just provide whatever yeah. bullshit thing they want to hear yeah <laughs> so um a uh, couple questions back you sure. were uh Dave you were talking about uh, the transitions as you move to a next generation of manager or decision maker who grew up with data yeah. as opposed to one who didn't grow up with data, do you think there's hope there or do you think that this trend that you were talking about remains 
of having a disconnect between sure. leader, um, no, leadership and... I, I think, um, you know, the, the general ways that hierarchical, you know, large groups of humans organize hierarchically, like, that's not going to change. But you're going to have individuals that are better at processing the information. So I think that, um, you know, it, it's one of those things where perhaps uh, my, get, my hope, in a best case scenario to me, is that you'll get pods, you'll get groups, and that might stretch a couple layers of stratification that actually can talk with each other at this level. But that overarching perspective of just how big of a group of people are looking at things and talking to each other, there's just a limiting factor there in like how human, you know, how human groupings work and at a large scale place, you're just gonna end up with, I always called it the problem of alternate realities. Everybody's living in a slightly different reality because they're all looking slightly differently. And I, I think that problem is, I, I don't know a solution to that problem, but I think that you're going to get better pods yeah. over time. That would be natural, continuous of human nature. But then yeah. for me, like when you look at it from a different generation, so how do you deal with, for, for example, uh, you know, the younger generation of students that are coming out, they are of course, consuming products you guys created or worked on, a lot of it, and then they could be um, quite a bit self-centered, okay. and they do want to own their ideas, and they do want to own themselves. Oh. So how do you actually have oh. these people give you their brain, give you their worth, give you their, what, you know, your app for yeah. me? So my last your knowledge is your worth, your money, right? Yeah. No, yeah. my last job. Um, that's a great question. Thank you. And uh, my last job, I, I was actually one of my favorite parts. I, I, um, you know, I'm a little bit more experienced, and everyone who was working for me, mostly everyone was in their 20s. Okay. Um, and I was teaching them while managing them. They had they had you know slightly different backgrounds from working in in database and big data technologies. Um, and you know the key was to, you know, find a way to get their contribution, make them a part owner of it. Right. And I know that that um, for me, it was just a natural thing. because I was like, well, I want us to work together. That was like my main thing was I wanted us to work collaboratively because I was so tired of being working alone in a box for like a decade before I started running this team. <laughs> and I'm like, we're going to work together and you find a way like they all had perspectives that I didn't have, okay. you know, from there. They didn't have the data perspective that I had, but they had like, you know, one. You know, one person had a stats background, another person was a very natural PM, another person was an exceptional developer, but a JavaScript developer, but an okay. exceptional developer. Okay. Um, so giving them things to own okay. while me still guiding the larger project Fantastic. and breaking it down to these things, uh, we did, you know, we were, we did, an, we ended up settling on a con agile continuous development, so we met every day. You know, one of the most important things, I said, you have three minutes to tell them what you've done, to tell this, the group of people who are also working on this project, what you've done, what you did yesterday, what you're going to do today, and why it matters to them. Correct. And they just, and they, and since they were so engaged with each other and with the overall project, and even though they didn't have a lot of experience, they still had their thing that they could change. Okay. I got, I got really good buy-in. Okay. And to me, that was the key: was finding a way to like, look, you know, hey, I'm not a great, you know, I'm not a great uh, document. Doc, I had a guy who was fantastic at documentation. It was, okay. he found it exceptionally relaxing. I hired him so fast. Um, so, <laughs> so he was great at documentation. So look, you don't not know anything about data, but I know you know documentation and I'm going to give, and you're going to have the opportunity to step forward there Correct. and giving them some space to step forward, I think was the key. Okay. Thank you. That's great. Yeah. So, uh, this is Eric Veal and this is the AppsChat Capable Communities podcast. Uh, this has been a conversation about business intelligence and thanks to Dave DeNoya for sharing all of his experiences and thanks to Don and Kafaya. And uh, on the next episode, we will be talking about 
I have to think about it. We're, we'll be talking about distributed architecture, distributed systems, and, and how that relates to what we just talked about, which is big data. Thank you. You've been listening to the AppsJack podcast. The creator and host of this podcast is Eric Veal. It was recorded, engineered, and produced by Christian Harris. You can contact us and find all our show notes on our website at appsjack.libsyn.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N. If you like what you hear on this podcast, let us know by writing us a very nice five-star review on iTunes and subscribing. You can also find out more by going to appsjack.com slash meetup to get more information on this month's topic in the corresponding meetup group that Eric hosts in Bellevue, Washington each month. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next month for our next episode of the Abstract Podcast. This has been a Seatown Media production. Find out more at seatownmedia.com. S-E-A hyphen townmedia.com.